This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hey, everybody, it's Scott Pinyard, head coach of This Naked Mind, and I'm back with another edition of Coaching Questions and another special co-host for today. I have Carolyn Bennett with me, one of our amazing Certified Naked Mind coaches. She runs a company called Sips of Serenity. Hi, Carolyn, I'm glad you're here. Hi, Scott, thank you. I'm excited to be here, so thank you for having me. So you you specialize in people that drink to numb out relationships or drink to kind of numb and like hide their feelings from others. What does that mean a little bit? I'd love to talk, get into that a little bit. I do. Sure. Um, you know, sometimes it's difficult because sometimes we don't know. It's very hard to differentiate, let's say, um, between are we drinking to numb out like a toxic relationship that we're in that we don't want to admit that we're, we're dealing with that. Um, whether it's a significant other, a friendship, parents, our own children, um, or if the drinking is causing those relationships to be toxic. And so I, you know, just work with people. I'm trying to kind of wade through that. Um, my first suggestion is always stop drinking first. <laughs> let's, get you, let's get you, you know, where the alcohol isn't a factor anymore. And then we can kind of examine, okay, do you still feel like you're dealing with some toxicity? And if so, then, you know, we will work through that and I'll pass them on to, to someone else too at that time. But yeah, that's what I do. Um, I also work a little bit with empaths. We're just people who really, could, I'm still learning about it myself, to be totally honest, <laughs> but um, kind of carry the weight of the world. Like I can walk into a room and I can feel a lot of different feelings and yeah. I can pick out the person who's left out. And um, it was one of the big reasons I drank personally mm. was I'm out from that. So that is what I do. <laughs> that is great. And um, you know, it's funny, this idea of drinking to numb relationships. I mean, drinking to numb in general, right, right is a big thing. But it's interesting to me that you you kind of talk about like drinking to numb out toxic relationships. Yeah. Um, because that's something I see so much of. Um, and I see it in, um, I see it in a lot of, you know, partner or spouse relationships. I see it in a lot of work relationships. Um, it's something that just kind of comes up all the time. Do you have specific, uh, sort of experience with your own, as much as you want to share? I don't want to pry. Yeah, no, no, it's okay. Um, I, I grew up and this, this is very personal, but I did grow up in a toxic household. Um. Uh, my mother got remarried when I was about two years old and my stepdad was really, you know, a, a difficult person to deal with. And he had many troubles outside of just our family. Um, so that's where my interest began, honestly. And then I've had some friends who have gone through some really, really rough um, interpersonal, you know, basically with their spouse or significant other um, and have come to me just to talk them through it. And through the years, then I kind of really dug in and started studying the subject, um, which, you know, I could go on and on about it. Um, but with, when you're in a toxic situation, a lot of times you can get into something called a peptide addiction. And um, that's very real. It's, it's almost as well, many experts say that it's just as addictive as like a synthetic drug. Um, it's, 
when our emotions are very high, our hypothalamus starts pumping out something called um, peptides. It's a, like a peptide addiction. Anyway, so that is probably more information than you wanted, but it, that's really, really has sparked my interest. And now the science nerd in me has to figure it all out, right? I'm like, okay, I love that part of it, which is where Annie's program comes in and, you know, just where she is always talking about the science behind things. And I'm learning the science behind toxic relationships. So I love that. There's a lot to be learned there. And there's a, like I said, there's a lot of people that, that are struggling with that. So, all right. Well, I have a few questions. You want to dive in? Sure. All right. Let me read the first one. So here's number one. It says, hi, I have a real issue. I just quit drinking 45 days today. Congratulations on that, by the way. That's awesome. Uh, But my husband didn't. He and I used to drink the same daily, a lot, and on the weekends until blackout. I have been able to work around it so far, but I'm feeling truly sorry for him and I'm started to really worry about our relationship. What advice can you give me to work through this? Yeah, man, this comes up so often, right? Um, it's just a very, I, I think the bottom line is when one person in a relationship decides to Um, examine their relationship with alcohol, or they decide to make the choice to stop drinking, the relationship changes, period. You know, whether, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse, um, but it does change. And especially in something like this, where, um, you know, a common ground was drinking together and drinking heavily together. Um, So my advice is always the same. It's always take care of yourself first, um, do what you need to do for you, right? Um, and try not to worry what that is doing to the relationship. And that's really hard because yeah. it, for a hundred reasons, it's hard. Um, but any projected negativity that comes from that other person is usually when they're already starting to dive in themselves and be like, yeah. well, maybe, maybe I have a problem too. Maybe yes. I really need to look at this, right, Scott? I mean, that's, you know, um, and so I say, take care of yourself first. Annie always says, take the high road, you know, <laughs> don't preach, don't preach to the other person in your life, significant other or whoever, um, <laughs> yeah. but show them what a great life it can be on the other side. 45 days is a really good, you know, base that really gives our listener the the base to figure out, okay, I feel really good now. And I know how it feels to be truly sober. Um, so those are just my suggestions. I mean, we dive in further to that too. Like, you know, do they need to go to some kind of a marriage counseling, you know, and that is a little bit out of my wheelhouse. I'm not, a therapist, <laughs> um, but I would definitely suggest that at some point, if there's really, yeah. really a struggle. So one of the things that's really interesting to me about this, and again, you're totally right, by the way, this question comes up a lot. And um, it's amazing to me that, you know, one partner in a relationship can go through this and then start to see that frustration build, you know, around their partner. And, um, you know, it gets it gets expressed in a lot of different ways. So sometimes I hear uh, anger, like what wow. the hell is wrong with him, wow. right? Sometimes I hear sadness and I, I seem to hear that a little bit of that, like, oh man, what's gonna happen? Where are we gonna go? Um, and one of the biggest 
things that I've seen be effective for people in this situation is to start from a place of grace for that other person. Um, I was just on a coaching call with Annie actually not long ago, and she was talking about this concept, this idea of like, you know, there were normal drinkers, you know, years ago, and she thought she was one of them. And now she realized it, it wasn't serving her and she had to, to get it removed from her life. But she started to realize, wait a minute, there's no such thing as a normal drinker, right? We're all on a journey with this. And so one of the things that I find to be super rewarding about this process is actually talking to people who are not as far as we are down the road, right? Wow. So there are gonna be people where the problem builds and it builds for a long time, right? I took about six years from yeah. the time that I first had that thought, like I need to quit drinking and then quickly shoved it down, yeah. right? From that moment until the time that I actually did was six years for me. Yeah. And that turns out to be roughly average, um, but people take all different types of lengths of time with it. And I think that the one thing that's so key to, to going through this method and working with this method is grace for ourselves, but then to be able to extend that to others. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one thing that often happens in a relationship, and I think you touched on this, Carolyn, is this idea that, you know, we'll put it this way. If you've got drinking buddies, right, and you guys are going out and you're drinking the same amount, and then suddenly drinking buddy A says, whoa, I'm drinking too much. Right. Drinking buddy B goes, wait, wait, what? Are, are you? Wait, am I? Like it gets, we, we in, in a way, we like hold up a mirror to people. Um, and I think that's particularly difficult in like a partner relationship, a spouse relationship, uh, any close relationship really, because Absolutely. I don't know what your experience was with this, Carolyn, but for me, it was like, I wasn't ready to deal with it until I was ready to deal with it. So right. like I would have that thought and then I would shove it down. Right. And it's very likely that this person's partner is in that that place right now. And it's also very likely that this, this person quitting drinking is turning up the cognitive dissonance for their partner. Yes. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's something right. that requires grace from us to kind of remember what that was like. Right. Right. And, you know, another thing I see is, and, and especially in this situation where they mentioned feeling, you know, sad and, and worried for their partner. Um, sometimes on the flip side of that, when we stop drinking, it's a big thing, right? I mean, like you said, I, I don't know how many years, I mean, it was, it was definitely years for me too, from the yeah. time I thought, oh boy, you know, I really need to look at that to the time I finally stopped, decided I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to not drink today and forever. Yeah. But um, what it does is um, we expect, at least a lot of us, like we want the fanfare. We want that from our our significant other, we want them to come out with pom poms and, you know, cheers waving that we have done this big thing. And they can't do that yet, because they are still, you know, stuck in this, this place. Yeah. Um, and that goes back to, you know, that's where the grace comes in, <laughs> offer them grace, because sometimes when we are 45 days out, we already start to forget how we felt, you know, I know <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. And when you're two and three and four years out, you, if we, if we, if I was not immersed in this daily, I probably would not be able to extend as much grace. It would have, I would have to remind myself more yeah. like, man, it took you how many day ones, Carolyn, before you, you actually, you know, it clicked. Um, and you're right. It kicks up that cognitive dissonance and it, and it can really be a problem within relationships. And that's why it has to be grace on both sides, you know, so. 
Yeah, and sharing too. You know, like the, the one of the things I so we uh, we used to have. We don't run it anymore because we have the path. We used to have this three month program called the intensive. Uh, and I remember having a conversation with someone who was from Philadelphia. I don't know why I remember where she's from, but I do. Um, anyway, she was from Philadelphia and she was really struggling. Um, very similar situation, right? Her and her husband drank. She quit drinking. He was continuing to drink. It was bothering her. And so, you know, the initial conversation was around exactly what you said, right? Take care of yourself first, draw those boundaries, um, figure out what you need for support, verbalize it to your partner, which is amazing how many people skip that step. Right. Um, and she did. And one of the things that she said to him was, if you're going to drink in the evenings, I'm going to go sit in the den and watch TV. I'm not going to hang out with you, right? It's not something that works for me right now. Yeah. Um, and so here's what happened, right? So what happened was he kept drinking in the evenings. She started sitting in the den. And it didn't, nothing really changed at first, but slowly, this is like over maybe a month and a half, right? Her life is changing so much because she's going through this process and she's not only getting beyond alcohol, but starting to learn some things about herself and starting to grow personally. And he's seeing the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, she, she mentions to me, this was maybe a, about a month after that. She's like, look, we haven't hung out much at all. Mm. You know, I, I'm not sure. Like, is this a good yeah. thing? Is this a bad thing? And, and I said, did you ask him? Right. Right. And so she did. And it turned out that he had been interested in learning what she has and like what she has learned yeah. because he's seen the changes in her life. And so fast forward to the very last call of that intensive. This was a couple of years ago. I want to say it was the beginning of 2019 now. Um, he joined her on the call and That's he had been watching the modules and was so excited and ended up signing up for the next intensive, right? Okay. And so that was just an example of all right. of those things we just said, you know, right. with Carolyn saying, you know, take care of yourself and put yourself first and extending grace, but still, you know, making sure that you're taken care of, it can work out amazingly well. Now, obviously there's no guarantees, right. but doing that not only gives you a good chance of this going in a direction you want it to, but it also feels better personally, right? right? Yeah. When we're not angry or kind of fighting over it. Exactly. And sometimes I think that the breakdown in communication comes within our own like fears. Okay, we stop drinking um, or maybe we're still in the examining stage, you know, and still trying to figure out our own way. And we don't really know how to talk about it with our partner um, because we don't want to come across as judgmental, yeah, right. as not understanding, as all of that. So we just clam up and don't say anything. You um, should really read this book. You, sh you need to read this book, right? Yeah, like you don't yeah, want to do that. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, it, and that is not really the best message sometimes, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, it, you can lay it out on the coffee table as many times as you want with the book wide open and dear, earmarked. But until that person is ready, and until you can have that communication come beforehand, it, it, it's, it's a fine line, but people make it through it. And it's beautiful, like you just explained. Um, that's a wonderful outcome, right? And, yeah. you know, so I think that that's really good. Really good. Awesome. All right, let's go on to question number two. Here yeah. we go. Uh, so stress and alcohol go hand in hand for me. Recently, there were some issues on work and I took on a ton of responsibility and blame for what happened. And of course, I noticed that my drinking went way up 
can you give me some tips on dealing with the stress here? I'm still in the pause phase. So I'm using this to gather data. Thank you. Okay. Well, first of all, wonderful that they're still in the pause phase, that they're in the um, ex exploration, being curious about everything. Um, and I'm sure many times over here, we've talked about the ACT technique, um, but that is you know, a really good place to become aware, aware of what are your beliefs behind why you believe that alcohol is a stress reliever? Um, you know, I, depending on how far along they are in the pause, um, we're learning that alcohol actually does the opposite, right? It, yeah. it, it can temporarily relieve our stress for a good 20 minutes, maybe, and then it comes back, you know, full force. Um, so taking that awareness and then, you know, gaining some clarity around it. Where does that come? Where does that come in? Why, what messages are you telling yourself or what messages from the outside world are telling you that alcohol is the solution? Um, and then doing some turnarounds on that, you know, taking that up a little step, like, well, maybe I could relieve my stress by taking a long walk after work. Maybe I could do some hot yoga. You know, maybe I could come home, get my PJs and have a hot tea instead. Um, trying to do a little bit of that work would be really helpful. Um, we are taught as a society that to relieve stress, one of the things is to turn to alcohol. It's, it's on every commercial almost, you know, it's getting better. Um, but, you know, I was very involved in the whole mommy wine culture. I mean, just mm. to be very candid, that was just a thing. I mean, every friend I talked to was like, oh, just pour a glass of wine. You know, it'll, it'll all go away. Raising three boys, you'll make it through it. You know, the stress of all that. Um, and it wasn't until I got really curious about whether that was the truth that I was able to turn some of that around. Um, mm. Because we all have stress. And once again, as an empath, um, you know, we, it seems like we kind of take on everybody else's stress too. And I was a firm believer for many, many years that the only way, the only way I was going to get that weight off of me was to drink. I, yeah. I didn't believe it and I didn't want to examine it. Um, but if you can really, you know, it sounds like this listener is in a good place and where they're really examining why they're turning to this and, other ways of relieving stress. I mean, the list could go on and on of the healthier ways to relieve stress. Um, yeah, and, and the thing the thing that jumped out at me was this sentence, I took on a lot of responsibility and some of the blame. Uh, um, you know, ultimately, maybe, I don't know, it, there's not enough detail here to know whether or not it's deserved blame. Not that blame's healthy in any, right. in any way, but, uh, you know, one thing that I've found that's been, uh, really interesting to me through my journey has been, yes, and, and everything you said about like dealing with the stress makes a ton of sense, but then questioning the source of it, right? Right. right? Questioning, is this blame yours? We have a, 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 a tendency, that's the word I'm looking for. We have a tendency, and by we, I mean humans, and I think particularly true with people, you know, Carolyn, who work with you, and I'm certainly for me, to take on responsibility, to go into what we call over-responsibility, right. right? That all of these things went wrong at work. It's all of my fault. Yeah. I'm horrible, right? right? And so, yes, this is like dealing with the stress in the moment, but also like really, and this is a great opportunity to do it in the pause phase, like really questioning what is the basis of all of this, right? right? This is my fault. According to who, right? right. According to what? 
right. I think is such a, a huge, huge opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't know if this is the right term for it, but um, in my days when I was finally realizing like, okay, there is a better way to deal with all of this. You know, stress is going to come at us, whether we're to blame for real or we're not. Um, it was a great tactic that worked for me. I would just sit down and set my timer for 10 minutes and just dump it, dump it all onto the paper, you know, just every single thing from somebody didn't replace the toilet paper rolls in the women's bathroom. And I took responsibility for that when it was not my job mm -hmm. or, you know, all the way to a big project fell through that had really maybe nothing to do with me, but I was taking it on. So I would dump it all onto paper. I would cross out the things that were legitimately not my job. I didn't have to take the blame for those things. And yeah. if, it, if it was something that I felt like, okay, I did have some, you know, skin in the game, some responsibility, I would circle it. And then I would decide to, to work on that on the side. Um, and that was just something that really, really helped me um, in my moment of clarity, basically, you know, um, alcohol aside, I might've been drinking a glass of wine while <laughs> yeah. I was doing this dump on the paper, you know, brain dump, but it really helped. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, part of the part of the work, I think, as we're as we're going through this is understanding, you know, how are we how we are framing a situation and how that affects us. Right. right? So one of the things that happens um, and I see this a lot. Right. So I already mentioned over responsibility, um, but I see that, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about the situations in our life. And, you know, human thinking tends to be fairly negative. Yeah. And so questioning that, right? And, and exactly with your sort of exercise of like, is that really me, right? Is, it, is that me or is that not me, right? Yeah. And being honest and maybe even asking for help because I also know that a lot of people have a hard time, right? I know this is something that I've struggled with for years is like, all right, what is clearly, you know, is there something, is this my fault? Like I, when something tends to go wrong, I tend to blame myself immediately my brain is finding all of the ways, all of the reasons, right? That it could have been or something I could have done differently. Yeah. Um, but taking that time to step out and actually work through it is massive because yeah. most of the time I find that the stress that people say they're experiencing, especially when it comes to stuff like this, is not real, right? It's right. made up. The, the, the right. feeling of the stress is absolutely real, but yes. the reason for the stress isn't. Um, yeah. And that's why I think writing it out is such a brilliant tactic yeah. because not only, you know, one thing that happens, I like to talk about our thoughts and emotions as being this big black cloud, right? And it's just right. this swirl of pictures and emotions and thoughts and feelings and all of this stuff. And it, yeah. it's not very ordered. But when you actually order it through language, right? Using language to write it down or talk about it, um, it changes everything, right? And you can see it for what it actually is, which I think is, uh, I think is exactly, exactly what we need to do to move on. It is, it is. And, you know, bringing back into the relationship part of it again, and not to go too deep, but sometimes um, blame is that voice in the head that maybe we grew up with or, or it was, um, sometimes we take it on ourselves, but, or maybe it's a boss that, that mm. does not want to, you know, doesn't take a lot of responsibility. And so they are blame dumping. And so being able to write everything down and examine it, like, is this really the real deal or is it my 
younger self talking? Or is it me resorting back to defense tactics of, oh, I'll just take the blame for everything and then maybe something will go away. Am I just trying to fix it? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Fix it and then you turn to the numbing it out sometimes and et cetera. So yeah, I think those are really good, really good points, Scott. (laughs) All right, last question, you ready? Hey, I am. All right, here it is. Hello, I have an issue with feeling like I can open up to people and I use alcohol to make it easier. Mm -hmm. It seems to me like I can't connect well unless I've had a few drinks. Well, a few has turned into many and now I'm trying to find my way out. Here's my question. What do I do to connect with people now that I'm getting rid of alcohol? I'm scared and not totally sure of exactly how to do this. Any advice would be appreciated. Thanks. Wow. Okay. So many thoughts. <laughs> um, and I think this is another thing, another theme that is very common for people. They, many people find that they're funnier, they're wittier, they're smarter, they're whatever. When really that's kind of our brain tricking us. We know that now, right? It's the alcohol, you know, it's the quote unquote, liquid courage or whatever, Um, taking a dive into, is it true? Do you really feel that you were connecting better with people when alcohol was present? Or was it fake connections? Was it surfacey things? Was it, um, you know, is there any truth to that? And okay, so if you find there's truth, if you're really truly, maybe this person is a, a true introvert and that's okay. You know, um, one thing, side note for myself, I used to think I was like party girl, life of the party. And when I stopped drinking, I realized that's really not me. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm plenty happy at home with a good book, honestly. And um, it was a fake me. So anyway, taking a look at that. And then if you truly feel like you really are having, you know, some issues with connecting, start faking it until you make it. You know, it sounds really silly, but I, I, I have worked with a client through this because um, she always told jokes. She was a big jokester when she was drinking and she found herself to be very funny. And, and she is very funny. She is very funny. But I gave her the challenge of go on the internet or, or whatever research mode works for you and find some ways to connect. Find yeah. those icebreaker questions. Go in and look those things up because it is a new world, you know, when we do stop drinking, for many of us, at least for myself, I mean, we're talking like a 30 year career of drinking. Yeah. And I didn't really know me as an adult without the drink. I mean, I had pretty much been drinking since college on and mm-hmm. off. And I, anyway, you find the ways that you can connect to others and you may have to fake it until you make it. Um, once again, give yourself some grace. You know, you you don't have to um, force things that are not comfortable for you. Yeah. I often think sometimes we don't listen to our intuition. You know, this may be the, the listener's intuition saying, lay low for a while. You don't yeah. have to accept social activities. You can really kind of hunker in and get to, you know, fall back in love with yourself again. And you may find that you have a ton of different topics and you can connect to people on a much deeper level than you ever did before. I love that. And that's kind of what I heard too, is just like, well, why do you need to, 
right now, right? And it's funny. So I, uh, much the same way, I, although similar to you, I thought I was an extrovert and it turned out I'm an extrovert. Uh-huh. But I did, there was this time in the middle where like, I didn't know how to do it. Like right. I had a very similar question to this. Like, man, I'm finding that I'm nervous and like all of these things that I used to use alcohol to, right. to quote unquote help me with, um, I don't have that support anymore. Um, and there's a few really tactical, like concrete things that I did that I'd love to, to just kind of give out. Hopefully it's an option. Cool. Um, yeah. One of them, like you said, you'd mentioned Carolyn, you know, going online and finding other ways to connect. Uh, there is an amazing thing that um, once you try this once, you're gonna be like, wow, that was amazing. People love to talk about themselves. They yeah. love it. They love to talk about themselves. And for you to get to know someone, for you to start to feel like you want to open up and connect to find those commonalities, you need to hear them talk. So one of the, one of the best exercises you can do, and this is particularly true, whether it's in a small group or a big party or wherever you're at is make it your job that night to ask as many questions as possible to anyone that you talk to. Um, It feels a little awkward at first. I will tell you, like I did this myself. Um, I did this both in my, I used to have a sales job. So I did it both in my sales job, but also in my personal life, it feels awkward. But what you, what starts to happen, right? When you start asking people questions and they're going to tell you something and you can ask them more questions and they get very animated they get very excited and that really raises the energy of the exchange and it starts making you feel really good, right? And that again, starts to open you up. That's the first thing. The second thing that happens is you start to find those opportunities to connect, right? I, you know, we tend to connect over similar views or emotions or experiences or whatever it might be. I mean, even similar cars, similar dogs, like whatever it is, right? But you have to find those things first. Yeah. The way for you to find those things is to ask questions. Um, and just a little tip on that for me, don't go into it with any preconceived notions. Like, oh, I'm gonna ask them if they like baseball and if they don't like baseball, I'm out, right? <laughs> but like, you don't like baseball, why? And then they start talking and it's just amazing the stuff that you can find. Yeah. And this, this sort of getting to know someone and, and talking to them, uh, and maybe it stays surface for a while, then it starts to get deeper, but that is something that we have so missed out on as drinkers for a long time, right? Because we've been managing our own emotions and managing our own state through a substance instead of like, hey, this interaction is going really well. Um, So that's thing number one. And then thing number two is this idea that there is no wrong way to do this, right? There isn't a way to connect. Um, And I love to, to frame this for people as an opportunity you know, to say, hey, it's been a while since you've had to do this, right? It's been a while and you get to learn more about yourself now. So you get to learn, you know, do you like going, you know, there are people that like going to cocktail parties and not know anyone, you know, just like straight up social skydiving. Yeah, um, I've done that plenty of times, right? Like that's something I won't say I love it, but it's something I can do. Right. Um, and there are also people who like smaller gatherings, yeah. right? Or who just want to call one friend and have right. coffee with that friend, yeah. right? Whatever that looks like, it's all an awesome opportunity for you to learn about yourself and figure out what direction you want to go. Right. Um, I love that. As you were talking, it just made me think. Um, I have always been one to ask questions of others, but one thing that happened when I was actively drinking, I couldn't remember anything 
when yeah. I when I got home at the end of the night, I couldn't remember anyone's name. I couldn't remember what their what we discussed. The questions were more just a time filler. It wasn't genuine. It, I thought it was at the time. I wanted it to be. Um, but so to add to the questions, if this is a group of people that you're going to be, you know, back in having another mm -hmm. experience with, um, write it down once again. You know, come home and make your list of. Scott loves baseball, you know, or, um, and it, there is something to be said for investing in people. And yeah. I think it is definitely something we miss out on when, when we're numbing that out, when we are, you know, faking it in a different way and looking at people through the lens of a drink, it's, it's so much harder to, to connect in that situation, but we believe it's easier because our inhibitions are all, you know, and all of that, yeah. all of that goes with what we know now about um, the substance itself. So I think that's a great idea. Um, make those flashcards when you get home. <laughs> you, you'll remember who's who. Right. Right? Yeah, make it fun. Exactly. You right. know, I mean, it's, it's all about exploring that for yourself. Right. Um, that's awesome. Well, that is it for us. Uh, Carolyn, thank you. I really enjoyed hanging out with you for a bit. Absolutely. This was great. Thank you. And if people want to find out more about you, where can yeah. they go? Um, well, you know what? I'm in the process of changing. It's still sipsofserenity.net, but you can also find me at the soberempath.com on a website, Facebook, and Instagram. Awesome. And that's a great way to connect. So fantastic. All right. Well, thank you very much. And uh, for those of you listening, I appreciate you hanging out with us for a little bit. Um, as always, we'll be back next month with some more coaching questions. We'll see you then. Take care. Hi, I'm so excited, you guys, because we are just about to start another live alcohol experiment. And if you do not know about the alcohol experiment, you need to literally drop everything right now and go to thisnakedmind.com forward slash LAE. That's LAE for live alcohol experiment. And here's the thing. This 30-day challenge is designed to interrupt your patterns and put you back in touch with the best version of you. You know it's that version that's living the most joyful life, that version that doesn't need alcohol to relax, or have a good time and that version that's having more fun and is more peaceful than ever. Again, it's a 30-day challenge. It's live. It's starting on the first. So hurry up. Go to thisnakedmind.com forward slash LAD. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.